Welcome into the Upper Left Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Anderson. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcast listening app of choice. And if you like the show, be sure to leave us a review. I'd also like to announce that my free ebook, Quadrant Training, is available for download. You can find it uh, via the link in my bio on Instagram, Jack underscore Anderson. I, I, I. You can find that ebook there in addition to all of my articles and other publications and my program, sprint training program, Quadrant Training. Uh, this is finally out after several months of work. And if you're interested in purchasing any of the phases or the full program, you can find access to that again via the link in my bio on Instagram. Uh, thank you for all those who have downloaded the book already and bought the program. I really appreciate your support and would always love to get your feedback on those things. Today on the show, however, we are going to be joined by Joel Smith. Joel is the founder of Just Fly Sports. Uh, He hosts a podcast of the same name and has written several books, and a third one is on the way right now. Joel is probably one of the more influential people uh, in my life when it comes to training. Listening to his podcast uh, was a source of inspiration for for starting mine, and um, Anytime I've had a discussion with them, it's great to just tap into the brain of someone who has uh, analyzed and learned so much about training and working with athletes over the past uh, 20 years of his career. Um, I love Joel's desire to self-discover, self-organize, tinker with various training methods, and that is something that we dive into extensively on this podcast. Joel kind of takes us through his mind on several performance topics, including action perception coupling, his learning process, the importance of variety in a training session, the importance of timing, high intensities in training, long-term athletic development, and then obviously, as always for me, talking a little bit about sprinting and jumping at the end. Again, thanks to Joel for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's been a busy time for him, so the fact that he's able to come on and uh, give me a little bit of his time was absolutely outstanding. And this was a terrific conversation uh, with one of the sharpest minds in the game right now. Hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Joel Smith. Joel, thanks a lot, man, for uh, joining the show. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, to do this. I know there's a lot of, we were just talking off the air, a lot of transitions coming up for you. So I appreciate you just uh, taking some time out of your day to talk. Yeah, thanks, Jack. It's actually kind of a nice, it's a nice cap on my day to be able to actually sit down and relax and chat. So I'm, I'm excited, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So one of the the first things I wanted to lead off on was I read your most recent article and you talked a lot about um, learning blocks or blocks of learning for you within like ten year spans. And it seems to me like you've just done such a good job when I listen to you and we've talked a few times and I hear you on podcasts accumulating a ton of knowledge, but not only accumulating it, but like organizing it in a really solid fashion. And I think, I know for me and a lot of coaches, um, you know, with COVID and everything right now, there's been a lot of opportunities to expand our knowledge bases. Uh, but I feel like at least for myself, it's getting to the point now where I'm like, I need to stop intaking information and start actually like either utilizing it or organizing it in a way that's actually useful for me. And I was wondering if you had any kind of tips on that, you know, going through the last couple of years of, of your learning process. That's a good question. I feel like you read my mind. I um, seriously know I was thinking about that after talking with Booz Shexater, uh for my most recent podcast because, well, Boo's like a super creative coach for those people who don't know him, um, but he's also a great uh, meat and potatoes coach in the sense of you know, he does a great job. It talks about, you know, if I'm going to train power, I want to keep it simple. Um, I think 
you know, you look at things like, you know, and I don't know, I've never actually used this stuff, so I can't say, but like, oh, like the Franz Bosch stuff, like the single leg, the single leg cleans and finish in a position and, 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 you know, taking things where there's more complexity. Um, so, and I was thinking about how much I really, I, I think back to my old training days, you know, when I was my in the te my teens and then my mid twenties and I was basically figuring out training with no real like mentor, like just, just figuring out myself, which honestly, there's so much to this thought, just figuring it out yourself. Um, I think it's super underrated. I, I feel like it's kind of like kids, um, the idea that you should just let kids kind of do whatever they want and not, but just be creative until age eight or something and then teach them, teach them whatever and they'll be fine. Um, cause then they can be more creative down the road, but, um, gosh, I'm getting like, oh, sidetracked. Anyway, so I, I, I'm not going to keep going down that. I, what I'm trying to say is I've gotten to the point, you know, 36 and I've tried ev literally everything. Um, I've never been very good at following. I've never followed anything though to a T that anyone's written except for easy strength. That's the only thing I've ever, and that, how can you mess that up? How can you not, you know, that's, yeah. that's yeah, if you're not doing that, if you're not following that, like you're not really doing it. Right. So <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Like, like triphasic training loved it, but I made my own version of it, you know, one by 20 loved it, but I mixed it with like, you know, Jace Raiders stuff, you know, yeah. like I just can't, I, I don't know what it is about me. Like I just can't do people's programs the way it is, but all this to say, I, I find a lot of times, like I look at, I look at my program and I'm like, man, there's a lot of stuff in here. Like it's almost like, I don't know, strength coach gets bored because you're in the weight room. And I mean, it was fun in the weight room, but it's not like you're coaching basketball or football or, you know, like, I mean, I've been in the perception and action stuff and dude, sport is so complex and fast and there is so much information. I mean, it's not like, I mean, how much information or bits are coming at you when you're like, you'd be coaching a play or, or go, going through a play in soccer versus a squat. I mean, it's like, come on. Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying I, I love, you know, I love doing sports performance, but it, it, it's just, anyway. So sometimes I feel like I, have I gotten bored with the traditional and just try to do all this extra stuff to keep myself entertained. And then I also look at the way um, I program for a number of online clients too. I mean, I write a lot of programs, like a lot. And I, I kind of, I've almost in a way also categorized the way I've written programs over the years. And sometimes I feel like it's like, man, I'm just getting to, and spending time in the swim world too, where dude, swim sets are not oftentimes like, like track or tempo sport tempo sets. If you spend time in the swim world, swim, like if I'm a track coach and I'm used to seeing eight by 200 on the board, like that's the easiest thing in the world. That's like first grade. Mm -hmm. Then you go to swim practice and it's like, all right, we're going to warm up with the you know like these three things or four things and then we're gonna do this set and it's like you're gonna do a mosque into the wall and then you're gonna turn around then you're gonna do this kind of kick then you're gonna come back and then you're gonna swim a hard 50 and then you're gonna rest and you can do that x amount of time or you know or or and even more complicated like and then that's the first set and then they're gonna do something else and it's 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 way more stuff generally speaking and granted i'm, I'm speaking a little bit based off of like the coaches i spend time with in the swim world um versus there are some meat and potato coaches who do insanely well in the swim world too so uh, just my experience i think you know being in that complex world made my track workouts more complex and my strength workouts more complex because i get bored easily and i have a mind that just kind of wanders and i think so anyways long story short i've just uh, there's two things that have gotten me to kind of bring things back to the roots of sorts and have 
brought with that some interesting thought processes. But one was just Bush Nexator's talk in the sense of just doing stuff like what's wrong with just doing eight by 30 meters? Like, you know, why can't you just do eight by 30 meters and then do like four by five cleans and, you know, some single leg squats or something like, you know, why is that so hard? Um, and, and I mean, I jumped seven feet, which isn't great, but for me is pretty good doing simple stuff. You know, I didn't have to, and granted the further along you get, you probably need to start, you know, mixing it in some new ways and finding some new ways to, to, to contrast things. Um, but, but I, I just say all this is to say this, like when you, I realize this, um, I think you have to be good at using the easy, like the standard sets, like, like use five through one and well, actually don't use five through one, but like use one by 20 and go through a team, a whole year using one by 20 as a team and see what happens. And, 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 you know, and then you, you use triphasic and, and stick to it and do it, you know, I, I mean, I, again, I'm a hypocrite, but do it pretty much the way it's written for a year and see what happens. Um, you know, and do, uh, you know, basically, you know, copy Ushak stuff and do it the way he kind of, he sets it up and see what happens. And I've, I've gotten to this point where it's like, you, you get as good as you can, and this is programming, but, but within the context of your system, it's almost like I can be a grade A coach administering five, three, one, like, I'm great. I know how athletes respond to five through one. I can make adjustments or whatever. I'm a great A coach with one by 20, you know, or I'm not saying I am actually, but like just so to speak. Yeah. But like yeah. once you get really complex, like if I'm coming up with a totally new system, which I do a lot, like, let's say I'm like, all right, I'm going to do a, you know, a three day, a 21 day cycle. And you know, it's going to be a four day program and a, you know, some like crazy push pull. And then I'll do ISOs on the bookend days and, I'm a C or a D coach in that program. I haven't done it that much, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that basically where I'm going is I'm just trying to really simplify. I'm just trying to always go to the, you know, Boo said it really well. Here's my home base workouts. Like these are the simple meat and potatoes workouts that I know are, you know, are solid. And I'm always going back to those. And I think my mind just jumps to complexity so fast. Um, and it's just social media too. Like if I've just put myself running eight by 30 on Instagram, no one cares. Like <laughs> yeah. three likes, you know, especially with the weight I'm doing now in my life compared to when I was 25, like that'll get two likes. You know, no one cares. <laughs> cut, but, cut it down by 33% right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a little different. I mean, I did a Spartan race of all things last year just to see what it was all about. So I'm, I'm a little different body type 36 than I was. I can still dunk. Thank God. Um, you know, but, uh, a little different body type than I was 20, you know, he's 25, 26. So anyways, I just been thinking about like, look at the template you're running right now. Like what's the template? What would you grade yourself and experience and knowing how good you are at that template and kind of always having the, I think, you know, Stuart McMillan thinks has said something like this. He's like, here's things I know work, here's things that might work. And here's the experimental. And it's like the things I know work are a very high percentage. The things that might work or probably work are like a little percentage. And the experimental stuff is very little. And I'm, I tend to uh, fall, I think, sometimes too much into experimental. But I've also heard things about coaches like Bondarchuk, like Derek Evely talks about Anatoly Bondarchuk, who's hammered or swept the medals, you know, from however long. And that he's like, that guy was insanely inspir- experimental. He was just throwing everything against the wall to see what would stick. But maybe that's because he had so many athletes to run through to do it yeah. too. So 
anyways, that's just, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think it does. And one thing that stood out to me, I mean, you're talking about kind of your mindset as you go into program something and you tend to maybe get a little bit bored with the same old, same old stuff. I feel very similarly, especially on the, the lifting side of things when I coach, like I'm much more interested in things that are a little bit more, uh, I, I feel like carryover or specific to sports, such as the jumping and the sprinting, especially since like meeting a Darian and whatnot, he's really kind of like kindled a fire in me for that. And, um, I think a lot of times athletes would vibe with that anyway, though, because you, you have so many of them that I don't think they, I think we're at the point now where more athletes understand why the weight room is can, can be important. But I think you and I both agree it only goes but so far. And I think a lot of athletes still don't care for just that same monotonous training over and over again. So I don't see there being a harm, especially if you read your group well, to do what it is you're talking about, right? I think for the most part, yeah. I, I think for individual sports, you know, we talk about, you know, people have taught, it was like five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was. People are talking about trying to bring bonder truck principles into team sports, uh, which I don't think is possible i mean some of it is you know they, like the idea of what transfers is important um but you know there's like it's like simple versus complex systems stuff you can solve algebraically and stuff that takes a little bit i mean there's even stuff like that with people figuring out covid right now and, and the best predictor models were not the simple linear the there was there was like a german model that was based off richard Feynman that was a complex systems model and they were way better predicting everything i guess mm-hmm. um and so i think about the complex systems and it's just a lot. And so, but part of sport is these guys, you know, people, it's almost like in the context of sport, the weight room is almost different, especially when the strength coach is not your sport coach. Yeah. Everything changes. And it's almost as if I've thought about this on some level, like it's almost like you're in a tribe and there's different elders that teach you different things. <laughs> and the, t- the elder that teaches you how to be strong, it's more than just, I mean, I don't think those players are really thinking about transfer to sport. Name me a, I mean, not that many. I mean, at the end of the day, their coach might come in and try to tell them we're doing this because it's going to help. At the end of the day, I don't think the player cares that. I mean, I hope they do, you know, and, and but I think they just want to, they love strength and they love confidence and they love growing in multiple ways. Um, I think there's a lot of ways that we can grow in the weight room that aren't, you know, I mean, people talk about the mind, body, and the spirit. I think it's a, that's a, pretty deep discussion I have a lot of thoughts on but um, I think that there is a level of entertainment that I try to give athletes uh, in the weight room you know in the university sector you know working at Cal super academic institution like these kids are very pushed from you know uh, compared to like I don't know like maybe just the state college where academics aren't as important and to me my job I want to make them laugh like at the beginning of the workout, I want to play a game that they haven't played before. I want them to smile and I want this to be the best part of their day. And people say that about the way I want this to be the best part of your day. Um, so we do a lot of layers uh, for team sports like tennis. You know, we, we do games and reaction stuff and different kinds of crawls and basically just be a kind of a kid monkey bars and, and, and then, you know, see who can do what. And, but then we'll do uh you know, then we'll do like 20 minutes of lifting and then finish with some isometric stuff. And, I've done stuff even like putting on like motivational tracks when they do isometrics and they'll like, you know, <laughs> if they know it, they'll, or they'll request like a motivational track and stuff. So that's different than for swimming. It's different. I think, you know, cause that's my, that's my individual sport. And I work with men's water polo too. And that, that is different too. Cause that culture is different than tennis. Like men's mm-hmm. tennis, they want to have fun. You know, they're not, 
they're not really grinders for the most part. Like most tennis players are not like, you know, like big time grinders. They, yeah. they just like having fun. They like playing. Um, some are, you know, but most aren't. Um, men's water polo are grinders. Like they want to work hard and, and they expect almost like to be like really like beat down a little bit. Cause it's kind of how I think they were brought up. A lot of them were brought up and just a lot of yardage and a lot of, it's a, it's a really tough sport. It's a super tough sport. So they're, they, I tend to not do games as much with them because it's just not, I don't think they expect it. It's not part of the culture, but sometimes we do and they do like it. Um, so it just it depends what your team expects if it's not individual sport, but if it's individual sport, then it's like, yeah, this transfers because every hundredth matters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the yeah, metric, so she, the yeah. metric is just so different, right? Like, I mean, uh, who was it? I think one of the guys that were like complex football or whatever, I can't remember his name, like Francisco Ciro Lowe or whatever was talking about just the, there's a more reductionist quantitative mindset to an individual sport, like you said, where we can see exactly where they are lacking and how they can improve because we're measuring it with a stopwatch or something like that. But then a, a team sport, like again, the ultimate KPI is winning, but there's just so many components so, so much into that. Yeah. Yeah. I will say too, I think that the, you can be specific in team sport, but that comes more in the perception and reaction space. I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I think that just I'm not, my experience there is limited. I just did a really cool webinar with Jamie Smith at U.S. Strength, and I'm just like watching this. And I've done I've seen some stuff that Emergence puts out, and I'm just like, man, if you're getting into that stuff and you're actually dealing with decisions and space and time on the field, I don't think there is really any. You would go to the weight room, and any th- idea you had of it doing anything specific there would be gone. You'd be like, no, no, so. That's just my two cents. Yeah, I, I, I was actually curious about that. Like, this is, I didn't expect to talk about this, but since we're talking about a little bit of perception action coupling here, um, a lot of coaches, I think, are preaching this from a weight room perspective and doing things that they say might be perception action coupling. But I don't know if you see value in that or not, because again, like the drills that are being run in order to elicit that, a lot of times that I see, to me, anyways, in my mind, like they don't add up to like, okay, yes, we're, we're learning to perceive and act on something on a drill, but it has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on, like on the field. So I don't know if there's core, like, are, are you getting anything out of that in your mind or, or not really when we're talking about transfer? Yeah, I think that's important. That's an important point because again, I go based off just all these people I've seen do it. Uh, I think the best, the best uh, example I've heard of it is so Scott Sawasser, he was on a podcast. Yep. He's been on a podcast like four times and great dude. And Scott is the epitome of practical. Like, I think when we get in the perception reaction space, it is easy to, you know, just kind of get a little esoteric with things. Scott is just like, here's what we do, you know, the, the end. Like, and, <laughs> and, and the webinar with Jamie Smith was very much like that too. Um, but Scott, I, I just asked him, I was like, so basically you're just kind of doing, just to the NCAA, you know, if you're in the weight room, you can't use the ball, you know, you can't use game paraphernalia or whatever, right? Like, but you can use humans. I mean, technically that's, game paraphernalia NCAA you know like I don't know it's just like so I mean <laughs> so anyways I asked Scott I was like um I mean really you're just trying to create game situations without the ball aren't you really at the end of the day and he's like yeah basically like watch what the coaches are trying to do and try to create space that works without the ball and I think that's I mean you know a lot of strength coaches are going to work with all these different sorts and I don't think it's I think it's good to even just do general stuff especially with developing athletes from just my perception again I 
I've worked with a lot of aquatics and tennis players the last eight years and, and, and getting into this space of perception reaction is actually something I'm really excited to do as I transition in my career here because I've been chomping at the bit for this stuff because I mean I'm like again I'm like a, I'm kind of like an intuitive coach I'm the coach that's like all right let's just start and I'm gonna just gonna it's gonna make stuff up actually I, like I know what we're gonna do for <laughs> lifting and I know what we're gonna do at the end but I'm gonna make some stuff up here at the beginning the first 20 minutes um, this is how I am. So I'm really, and I think the, the perception reaction can really fit with that because you read the athletes and you can read what their work is working and engaging them and what isn't. And I do think that even if it's not specific with the ball, I do think that just like, I can give you this example. Like when I was about, I, cause I know this about myself. Like when I was a, the, the more stuff, the more wide, the, the things going on, and the more pressure that's on me as a player, I will do worse. Like one, I'm, I'm a better one-on-one basketball player for the most part than I am a five-on-five guy. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the more decisions there are, the more, the more that hurt me. The more space there is, the more things that are going on. And, and just dealing with pressure too. Like just experience and being really pressured. And I think that for me in basketball, I would create a strategy when I could that really didn't, deal with that much pressure and I think if I would have played I didn't play football growing up and I think if I I mean when every time I kind of did later and I was just like I don't know what's going on like I'm so <laughs> ADD with this stuff and I'm watching like you know Jamie Smith do a presentation I'm like I don't even know what's going on with these guys barely like but this is because I don't like this and you can sense the intelligence of just space and 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 people moving and chaos and there is there is something to it that I think is very common that good athletes just kind of get like that good athlete just kind of gets um, versus. So I, so I guess I'll answer by saying just from my limited perspective, I think that a good coach who's around the team all the time that talks to the coaches can create these situations a little bit without the ball, I think to a good degree. Um, and I think in developmental athletes and, and Jamie and I talked about this, like, you know, if you're working with youth athletes like high school, you can tell the parents or the kid, you know, I'm going to get you stronger. You know, hopefully you're going to jump a little higher. Hopefully you run a little bit faster. And that's about it. You know, maybe you won't care. <laughs> hell of a sales pitch. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh I'd, yeah. I'm going to crush it in the private sector. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but versus saying, Hey, you know, like what's the biggest KPI in sports game IQ decision-making. Honestly, at the end of the day, it is. Uh, I mean, as long, you have to be fast enough. You have to be big enough. But beyond that, you got to be able to make decisions. And if I can help you improve in that, even if it's general, I mean, kids don't play enough diversity in sports too. So you could make the case that if you're playing, you see all these different perception reaction games and they all are, they're almost all their own sport kind of in a way, you know? And it's almost like you're, you're giving this more robust package of, sport so i think at the least i think it just keeps people from wasting time doing too much weightlifting in an hour you know so then let's let's think about this then for i know you talked to we if we have this conversation three years ago well first off i have no idea what you're talking about three years ago <laughs> but but um for me i i was so rigid in like this is my structure that has to look really good it has to kind of be exactly as i script it and I'll tell you now, like I, I do some training virtually with a couple of kids that I trained back when I was in Seattle. And like we, for the first 20 minutes, I just make stuff up. Like I have a general outline of what I want to do. And, and I, it took me a little while to not feel bad about that, you know? Um, 
but now it's like something I'm extremely confident in because I get a much more receptive athlete when we get, for example, like one of the, one of the kids I work with, he doesn't really like to lift, but he needs it to at least to some extent. Cause he plays football and he's, you know, four forty pounds, you know, so we have to, yeah, we have yeah, to do yeah. something. So, so, uh, so yeah, like, I mean, for him, like just getting him engaged initially with something along the lines of what you're talking about, like some unscripted play, you know, tr- turns everything around. And, um, it was even something I had to explain, like to his dad, for example, like his dad's like, well, why are we, you know, why are we spending like 10, 15 minutes on this? And I was like, well, does he play at all? Like when he's not worked with me? No, he plays video games. Well, I'm like, well, then he hasn't ever played. Like I have to like do something. Exactly. So, 100%. So, so yeah, I love hearing that you're, you're saying this kind of stuff. And I think it's important for like, I know even me three years ago and there are people I know that listen to this podcast that uh, need to hear that and need to let go of the reins a little bit <laughs> in that regard. Yeah. Making stuff up is, is it like, I, yeah. I mean, everyone's wired differently. Some people are very much planners, you know, yeah. some people are just like, off the cuff and I'm an off the cuff person so I'm not like everybody but that's been the biggest gift to my training is just because it's kind of a skill too you know you think about you know if I'm going to be a coach and there is a skill to just making up work on the fly it really it's and you get better at it year to year to year I mean I remember my first year with men's tennis you know I walked in to Cal as a coach who had basically never had a formal mentor in strength and conditioning and just, I got the job very much because the track needed somebody and I had the specs, you know, and for a track strength coach and I was working with tennis and I had strength conditioning experience and I was CSCS of course. And, but I remember like, I basically went from like, you know, I'm going to like get these guys under my thumb and we're going to do a movement prep and did, 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 and these guys are going to, and they were just sitting there like the were I mean, I don't think I got off on the right foot too, because they wanted to play some super soft alternative music to work out to. And I wouldn't let them. And, <laughs> and, and that actually did change. No one asked me for that anymore later in the, the, that tenure. But um, they just all looked like they were just bored to death and they hated it. And I'm just like, okay, like you guys should like it more. Like, you know, you guys should like this more. And it's like, no, it's just not, this isn't what the, and so it was like slowly, I remember, I just, I just remember one day, it was like maybe my second, third year in, I was like, I'm just going to make this up, the warm up. I'm just going to make the warm up up on the fly. And because my buddy, Paul Cater, uh, who owns a gym down in Salinas would do that stuff and we'd do it for like 45 minutes. And it was always a, and where it eventually evolved to for me, cause he's always us, but it's like put on techno music, put on deep house or trance or something. And just like, I don't know, you treat the warm up like a giant, like kind of club, not club, but like a workout <laughs> club, like, but, but I'm sort of cultivating flow. Like, oh yeah. hundred like percent. It's, yeah. it's just, how do I build a flow state? Boom. And that, that would be the skill, I guess that I think I've, maybe gotten a little better at you know you you even mentioned the flow state and you're talking about like building skills i feel like for athletes a lot of times too like either because of their schedule or even if you're a younger athlete and you're kind of like just beset by so much technology now and you don't get out and like do stuff very much to be quite honest like from what i've seen um um uh, just teaching them a skill of getting into like a flow state is so huge like it's so much everything's just so much better when you have that that vibe going on in in a workout yeah. I mean, that's to me, the more, I, you know, I, I made the comment of like strength conditioning is kind of a, it's kind of a little bit of a weird job because it's not I, in the perfect Russian system, the coaches would do all this sport coaches. And so what's like, well, what, what are we really then if we're not just some like lock fit complement to, you know, to all these KPIs. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like, we're kind of like a flow state. It's like you're a physical flow state. Um, 
per person. I, don't I love know. it. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> I love it. But Guru. <laughs> at the end of the day, that's what people are looking for. If they were like, man, that workout was awesome. Like, uh, and you just start feeling like everything's hitting on the levels. It's like, who I, I, I listen to um, Mike Bledsoe is the guy of Barbell Shrug. Uh, he does his yeah. own thing. Now, but he was talking about in San Diego, like they're actually bringing in just this gen pop, but I just love this stuff. They're bringing in like DJs, like people have live DJ workouts. I don't know if it's CrossFit or however much like CrossFit. Is yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, you know, Rogue Fit or whatever it's going to be called. Like they're, they're bringing live DJs to like DJ this stuff. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't know, like, you know, even just the idea of metronomes for if you have to, I mean, if I, if I had to do 30 clean and jerks, which I never would, but if I had to, I don't I shouldn't say that. I'll, I'll try anything, you know, but uh, <laughs> if I had to, it'd be cool to do it on, I think a metronome, a beat would help me out. So I, I just, I, I heard that and I was like, I don't like people are so, I don't know. It's like people's preconception. I think of what training is still has a little ways to go in this, in a lot of ways. There's so much more that it can be. And anyway, that's, um, that's a big part I think where I'm headed to, uh, or I'm, I'm figuring it out. So. Yeah. You even, you talk about preconceived notions. That was one of the other questions I had was I, th I think, and I might be putting, I'm not going to try to put words in your mouth, but at least for me, and this might be just fresh off of like my military kind of like working with the army stuff the last couple of years, but there's this preconceived notion that everything needs to be extremely hard. And it's always very frustrating to kind of like help, you know, help people understand that we can kind of regulate stressors and undulate them. And, uh, you know, if we do some other things on the side that they can really help what we're doing in the, in the gym or, or on the field or whatever it is. And, um, you wrote a really good, another really good article on that. Just not blunting the nervous system too soon, not jumping to that, that, I guess, uh, X factor style workout or that, that thing that you can hold in your back pocket for a long time and prepare for in order to get the nervous system properly developed instead of just hammering it from the word go. And, uh, I absolutely love that. I was just wondering if you wanted to elaborate on that at all. Yeah. And so I, First off, the, the article that I think you're talking about, if it's... Um, oh, yeah, you what, didn't write it, did you? It's just Jeff on your Moyer, site. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of people think I wrote that. Actually, that, because a lot of people think I wrote, thought I wrote it, me and my business partner, Jake Clark, were talking about, we're going to start putting people's pictures at the top of the article and, you know, like, so anyways. I, no, actually, I, I did catch that at the end, but I completely forgot as I'm talking now. Yeah, so. oh, that's all right. No, you're not the first one. There was a few people. So Jeff wrote that, and Jeff is a super passionate dude. And I, you know, that's, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned, you know, from him and then cure one and flat too, is really big on this. And, um, it, Jake Jensen, uh, Jake, might, Jake Jensen might've been the first one to actually get cure tuned into this, but that idea of, you know, just start with one by 20. And then when you run out of gas on one by 20, then go to one by 15, then one by 10 and so on and so forth. Then you give them two sets and, it is like, if that's one of those, it really is one of those, you know, take the red pill, so that's overused, but like, but it is one of those take the red pill moments, because as soon as you realize that, it's like, whoa, I, I mean, and I think I've kind of always, I've at least always known that in the sense of, I, I would read the books about the, the Olympic quads, and the coaches would save the, if an athlete, if I love depth, up jumps over you know two barriers that's my favorite thing in the world for high jump or something or if i'm a sprinter and i love over speed you know over randomly spaced mini hurdles or something like i would save that for the last year and i wouldn't really do it before because you want to save those effects like it's it's almost like you, you know you have to let off that so the brain can like desensitize and then when you 
you have it again it's like whoa you know it's like i don't know if you haven't drank in a year or something you know <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i don't know like so and so you you gotta you gotta do that and then also yeah because you just think about you use sports and, and everything like that and it's just insane it's like that's to bring that's more philosophical though on some level too because you think well all these kids you have to work so hard to make the next team or makes the next level and you know and, and and but just the fact that who's good at 12 is usually not that good at 18 should tell you something and it's crazy and so I, it, you know i'm not i don't want this to be political at all political at all and and i'm not i'm not any particular political view but my friend paul and i've talked about is it possible in our system prints you know model of you know enterprise that and i and i you know i i you know would be of the mind that capitalism would work if we were just all good people (laughs) that'd be great yeah (laughs) yeah and but but can we do this system um where you where you know because the soviets did it but it's like authoritarian you know it's communist you know and and you can't you here's the plan and you have to do it you know and or or just maybe you know but i think through education you could but it's like is it possible outside of a soviet communist system to truly do a long-term development where human interest uh, doesn't get in the way or you know and, and it's so complex you know parents and beliefs and all the coaches and stuff like that and i mean it's something that i'm passionate about so yeah um i'll say i'll I'll just go to sorry before i get all sidetracked with that because i I, that's like you're fine this has been great (laughs) it's kind of like a real heavy that's like heavy for me because i I, that's something i want to work towards in my you know the second half of my career i guess if i don't think i'm halfway through it i'm not to the halfway point yet so whenever that is in the second half maybe i'll be (laughs) trying to help all that stuff but um uh, so, so what, one thing that uh, that really hit home for me is uh, how I did my men's swim training this year. And usually it's like, you know, okay, you have the fall is like the kind of non-conference dual meet where meets aren't that big of a deal. Like, you know, you're like, no one really cares that much about how fast you swim, so to speak. But you always find some interesting stuff because some people swim really fast in the midst of heavy training. Um, and then don't actually get that much better particular taper meets. And it's like, huh, you know, you think then you start thinking about those volume responders and stuff like that or novelty or change the way novelty and change goes. Um, but this was the first year that instead of doing, I usually do French contrast. Like I do a round of French contrast for four to eight weeks in the fall before our big December meet, like first week in December, big meet. So I run up to that with four to eight weeks of French contrast. And then I wash it out, just do body weight stuff for a little while, body, you know, easy stuff. Mm-hmm. And we start slowly coming back in January and then we make another run into our pack 12 meet. That's kind of the same thing in um, February and then March as NCAs. And in the past it was always like, okay, let's go three or four sets of French contrast in the fall. And then we'll just do maybe two or three in the spring, you know, you're yeah. and this year I kind of flipped the script. I was like, all right, I'm going to give you guys two sets in the fall to do as much as you can. And then you're going to get three sets when we get to the spring, you know? So it's like flipping. Cause it's like, this is not, um, this is not sports skill. This is not work capacity. This is just power. And it actually worked really good in my, although COVID COVID messed up our, um, yeah. So you can't ex- officially see what happened. Yeah. But, yeah. But what was happening, especially the sprints is more what I can use. Cause I don't know, mid distance, you kind of starts to get, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I could try to say that I'm, you know, that everything in the weight room that I do is transferring beautifully. But, you know, once you're getting outside the sprint, sometimes it's a little harder to say, you know, on some level. But 
but I had a sprinter particularly, I mean, we were doing, we were, they were on point doing extremely well. And I had a guy, if I just look at pure weight room stuff, like I had a guy who vertical jumped 41, two on the mat. Which, yeah. He, I mean, he's a human frog, you know, so, but, but it was like, I just think that system for him, I think worked extremely well. And uh, you know, I, I would be inclined to keep doing something like that. So it's almost like, I think some of us, you know, like I would have thought, you know, the, with your original model, you're kind of whatever's going on in swimming, you're just kind of doing the opposite in a sense, in terms of the amount of volume and intensity. And then as you ramp the swimming up, you were tapering down the lifting. Now you're just kind of almost keeping them in lockstep with each other to some extent. Well, uh, with the two sets of French contrast in the fall, they're doing more swimming there. Oh, and actually, okay. in my mind, okay. that actually makes more sense now that I think about it. Because you can, like, it's kind of like, I don't know, like your bucket's only so big. And you're, if you're a swimmer, you're going to overtrain because that just goes to the territory. But yeah. if you're swimming a ton and doing tons of kick sets and you know this and that, well, maybe we shouldn't do as much lifting, you know? And then when you get to your championship season, you're doing less swimming. Well, there's probably more room in your bucket for a little bit more lifting if you want to, you know, and it, it, it's just the tapering is so interesting, you know, yeah. and, and I have definitely because people all the time and, and swimming is weird. The first is track track track. People can PR really any point in the season uh, swimming. People only generally PR at meets where they put on a suit, like a special suit and they shave. And there's a lot of mental stuff that goes behind that, too. Um, so it's kind of like you have to kind of gauge well because everyone swims the fastest when they shave and taper but Mm -hmm. it's kind of like well how good is that time compared to the unshaved time and all this that and the other thing and i've kind of deduced just the worst way to run a taper from just pure like if i me to be a swim coach or even a track coach like if i you know because i'm gonna go back and be do more track coaching here soon is i don't want to taper by just doing less of what we've already done basically like just, all right, we've done a lot and now we're just going to really shave it down and just do less, 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 less. I think there's some athletes that work for like, um, mm-hmm. I have a podcast with Ross Jess coming out where there's like a different, you know, there's elastic sprinters, there's muscles, concentrators, and there's metabolic sprinters. I think for metabolic that could maybe work better. But if you got someone who's novelty, kind of a novelty driven person, they, that just gets, they just, their nervous system just hits a rut and you need to find a way to like have the being at this highest stimulation from a nervous system perspective at the end that from a nervous system, you want like the most novelty, the most cool, you know, like boost next was talking about you got your 30 depth jump workouts and for track and you know, you kind of have those ACE cards you want to play. And so it's really just building up to those ACE cards. And so yeah. maybe past year I just found a better way to build up to that ACE card, which for me and my sprinters has generally been French contrast, but not for absolutely everybody. You know, you're, yeah, that's that's fascinating, man. I I actually didn't. That's it makes total sense too because I've worked with swim before just for a year, but I totally forgot. Like the volume of swimming in the fall is significantly higher, both from a practice and I I don't know about meets, but definitely in practice, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, they swim a ton in the fall. Like just basically, there's different tapering strategies, and again, I've only been around a few programs, and then just had discussions on other programs and what they do and. Um, yeah, but, but generally the rule of thumb is more than any other sport, like the, the, the difference in the amount that they're doing at full go versus their, you know, maybe two, three weeks before a really big meet is crazy compared to track. It's very, very, I would say it, the, the balance is probably a little bit, you know, bigger to smaller is more. Um, so yeah, they do a lot of work. That's for sure. No, that's, that's fascinating stuff. Now to, to wrap up, um, 
<laughs> I know we only got a few minutes left here, but I really did want to. Do we get to any questions that you actually have? Oh, yeah. Actually, this has all kind of been like you've tied them in nicely here. Honestly, man, too, with this, I just do conversations. Like, and wherever it goes, I thoroughly enjoy it. So it's not a big deal. Um, <laughs> but uh, I did. I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about, um, you know, just sprinting and jumping. And, and I think one thing, obviously, you know, we both know a Darian. I've had him on the, the show before, and he was able to do a really good job, like, introducing some of his basic concepts to – to the listeners here, but um, what what are some what are some things you see that might be like universal commonalities between jumping and sprinting? Like, obviously, I could see that uh, a Darian showing universal concepts that are happening both in acceleration and jumping. Mm-hmm. I know you've elaborated on this as well, so I was just wondering if there were a few things that you could kind of touch on that that are that are common between the two things. Yeah, so yeah, Darian was I just you know recently particularly, but I, I think I've seen this on some level along is if you can run um, not fast but well then you can probably jump high off one leg so that and it's the one leg that's the probably the biggest correlation between running well and then um and jumping well off one leg because there's athletes there's different ways i think there's more variation ways people jump off two than one uh for the most part there is different ways off one you know you can be a ground scraper you could be a fast on the way through but off two legs, you got jump stoppers, you got swivelers, you got long whippy, you know, arms behind the body. You got, there's, there's, I think a few different kind of uh, variations. And I think people who can't run very well, but jump high off two tend to be kind of like jump stopper types. Mm-hmm. Um, they just kind of have like a pogo sticky, like Justin Darlington, if you remember that guy, I, I don't know what that guy runs like, but that guy kind of comes to mind. Like he, um, maybe he runs well but like more of the jump stop like you probably don't have to run that well to do that yeah. probably not very good at jumping off a of one so and well what does running well mean i mean i just think it more or less i just think it's there's that there's a balance um that there's you you can maintain your you can uh, control your pelvis and you could probably you could say too this would probably be a good one to say is uh, the way I see it, and I was just talking with Ross about this, Jeff's on this, uh, about different types of sprinters, but basically, um, more so than saying your posterior chain dominant or anterior chain, where is your sensory map um, in your body? So it, you, you can say, here's the front of my body, and I, I like, and maybe I'm really good at bench pressing and squatting or something. I don't know. Like, you know, strong quads, strong front muscles. Like, and, mm-hmm. and that's where my map is. Like, that's where I want to go if I'm doing skills. But if you flip me over and have me do like a, like a crab walk and I can't get my hips very high off the ground and, or if you have me do an RFE split squat and you can tell I have a hard time just like pulling myself into my back leg, using my back leg well, uh, like that type of paradigm, or I can't run backwards very well. You can just mm. tell like if I'm running backwards, that ability to fold up the leg behind, shoot it back, you know, not that that's necessarily running well. You wouldn't do that if you're playing sports, but like, but if you're if you watch people run backwards and Dan Pappas said this, I think you can get a good idea of their posterior chain control. So what that would show up like in running is if when I'm running, if I have a good motor mastery of the backside of my leg, my calf, my hamstring, my glute, and then you're gonna get someone who has more control in I guess you could call swing leg retraction, like you know, where that front leg kind yeah. of straightens out to plant. Uh, and I think that's a real big one with single leg jumping because you need kind of that straighter leg action, like the straighter that leg kind of the better. And how do you get that leg straight to plant? You have to have that swing leg retraction. How do you get that? Well, you have to have good motor mapping on the backside of your leg. And that's why um, I think even like the doc guesses, like 
stuff where you like are doing the drills but just pulling them against the band and practicing it like anything that just gets you more in tune with that back side of the body you even hear some people say hey i just did a bunch of a buddy of mine alex lee he was on my podcast with um dr tommy john a while ago and i was just working out with him and a few of his chiropractic buddies and you know he's told me he's like man i we did a ton of hamstring isoglute ham and all that stuff and that's a big Jay Schrader thing, just getting a set of hamstrings. But is it really a set of hamstrings or is it just a ton of more motor control? So all those ISOs, extreme ISOs, are really motor control, uh, I, I believe. Like I'll do ISO push-ups for two weeks to get better at it, and my, my handstand, free handstand gets better, like without practice. It's something with motor control. So anyways, I think that just motor control in that posterior chain that allows for a little bit better front side I hate even saying front side mechanics and it's just like lift your knees and that's like, like, you know, so, uh, <laughs> but the ability to control the leg in space is going to, uh, is going to be determinant of your ability to create a good collision in a single leg jump. And if you can't do that, you're going to jump with a very like bent leg and you're just going to have to form some strategy off of two. There's tons of ways people jump off of two and that might be a little too complex to maybe get into and make any yeah. sense of that video. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I hope that like I hope and, and I honestly I will say too like a lot of there is I think potential transfer to it too like but I, I think you can get away with not running well and having a ton of um you know that that mastery. Although I will say if you're one of those dunkers that if you're a, a good like a not just a high dunker but you can do like a bunch of spins and you know, five to do a five forty. I don't think you could do like a five forty, like or something, or you mm-hmm. know, three sixty between the legs, unless you have some sort of you know, control back there. I'd imagine. So yeah, um, yeah. Just that's just a thought. Just kind of me. Um, that's a few things I've been thinking about. Do you that. um? Do you look much at the shins and like what's going on with those? Now, obviously, one leg, like you said, it was gonna be a little different because of the stiffness, but um, just rolling through, like you know, just rolling through the penultimate, and and you see like similar concepts in acceleration with shin angle drop that you do with, with some of the jumps. Oh yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, you trying to feed me this question? No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, 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 I was just, really I was just curious. Yeah, no, that's good. No, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that if you watch it, anyone who jumps high, their penultimate shin is going to drop. I mean, and what I just look for the most in that shin dropping, it's kind of like, um, when Darian's talks about the first, the first class lover turning to second class, or, mm-hmm. I mean, basically that heel in the penultimate. So the second to last step, how long does it take the person's heel to get off the ground? And really it's, is, is the foot, the construct of the foot and the shin basically staying about 90 degrees as that, um, shin comes forward. So, cause that, to me, that, that means that the ankle has some like locked integrity to it. So it's going to be able to preserve the speed. I, I mean, I guess you could say maybe it's locked in supination. I don't know. Like, um, you know, pronation is a very small part of the, I, cause I try to think, well, if, cause I, I don't know, like this pro, do you have to pronate to add that time to it? Is it, you know, what's supinated? Lock? I, I don't even know. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I actually, I'm really getting in the Gary Ward rabbit hole right now. And I'm one of those super confused dudes with it. I'm trying to figure it out. But all I know is that heel's got to come up um, like quickly as you roll into that last step. And so that's a real, and if you can't do that, then doing like just rehearsing it slowly, doing like low walks, slow forward walks and trying to rehearse it is valuable. Um, so I, because a lot of people drop their shins. I think it's impossible to jump without doing it a little bit. Like try to jump without dropping your shin. I don't think you're going to get off the ground that's, at all. That's kind of what I was getting at. So like, 
obviously the, I, it seems to me like better jumpers in a lot of, not every case, obviously, but like you could see really good jumpers are able to get more out of a shin angle drop than me, for example, you know, in that particular instance. But I've also found like over the last, I don't know, six months since I've kind of met a Darian, like I've trained myself to have a better shin angle drop. And now this is a little bit more acceleration based or whatever, but, but, um, I don't know, like, do you, you think that's something that like we can kind of coach and teach and, and help to get better? Or is it just something like I'm just someone that's going to go so far down that rabbit hole that I just kind of learned how to do it better? Uh, I think it's helpful. And actually I should go back to say I, I, with the whole shin drop, I do think it does actually, now that I think about it, it probably does couple with pronation more often than not. Cause you look at like people like GDP or people who are toe draggers. And they have that, their foot is pointing out to the side. So it's trying to find pronation, like Gary Ward said, it was pointing out, or it's trying to buy them time. So it's got to be, so sorry, I just wanted to clarify. No, no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just picturing that in my uh, head right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to go watch some video. It's hard to say without video. So anyways, um, I mean, I think it's useful. Like, I, it's, it's got to be. Um, it's, I don't have that much to say about it necessarily because it's only been on my radar really for the last three months. And uh, I mean, let's just say this, I learned about it. For the, and it's just sad because I, you know, I wrote a book five years ago and I, you know, that was, I, it's gonna, I'm writing this book and it's taking me five years to learn about shin drop and the penultimate, like, cool, like, sheesh, like that new book needs to be updated. Um, Another 2000 hours of work. <laughs> well, well, vertical foundations is not a big book. Um, the, oh, okay. This is the, the original one. Okay. That was it. That's the old school. That was 2014 or something like that. It was super old school. And that book, yeah, that, that's a different story, but, um, I, I learned, uh, Darian was really teaching me that like really right about the time COVID hit. And so honestly, I haven't, you know, outside of like watching some online clients and, and kind of, you know, look, working through, which again, I've been working just mostly on the action of the foot and the heel in those situations. Um, it's, I, I, I tend to focus more there. Um, I don't like, I haven't, amongst the people I have been able to work with since all this hit, which has been nobody in person, mm -hmm. I haven't, um, I haven't really seen somewhere it's where it's like, man, you're not dropping your shin, you know? Um, however, I will say that's probably a way better thing to cue someone into than just take a long last step. Cause if it's, that's what Darian and Mike were talking about. These volleyball players who've been taught to take a big long last step and, you know, really push into that long, whatever. And I've never seen that ever go well. I've seen people yeah. who I know are being instructed into, pushing and then you know push punch or whatever the thing is and you just you see that the feet are not leaving the ground at the same time anymore it's screwing up the timing and the body is pretty smart so i that to master the the art of i've been i mean i was messing around a little bit the other day because i'm like okay how how can i get better at being long and low without screwing this up because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i've because i've never really I've never really thought about a good way to, I, I mean, I've thought about it. Like I have that long and low, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to jump and I'm going to go long and low. That ever works. You know, never, you know, <laughs> doing that. It's, it's just doesn't work. Um, you know, and let alone long and high or something like that. And I think someone who does zero penultimate length at all will get better no matter what cue you throw at him, as long as it's a little longer, you know, it's just at what point is a ceiling going to happen? You know, yeah. you see that in track and field a lot. Uh, so I was doing bounding though, where I'm like, okay, what if I bounded low? I was like, this is kind of cool. And then I was like, cause I was doing that out in my apartment complex. And then I did like a little jump off the side. I was like, dang, that was good. Like that felt good. Um, so part of it is I almost wonder 
can you just do an exercise and then go jump, you know, and then maybe if you're, if we're talking about long and low, maybe let's use a primer. And then when you just jump, just jump. Like that's and, totally what I've been doing with my, my sprinting actually, like just some of this stuff to initiate, like getting a shin angle to drop and then having the pelvis automatically kick in. Cause my pelvis just lags behind everything else. And so, I, you know, I, I, to, to what, to what my knowledge of what Adarian's kind of taught me is like, if, we have a big load behind us. We're not getting the Achilles to fire. And, you know, that's just causing a bunch of, you know, issues all over the place. So for me, using some of these, so a couple little like pogo drills where I emphasize like a shin drop and then a heel lift and then all these things that get the pelvis to go without actually focusing on it. And then immediately, once I feel that, go and hit a sprint. Like one, I have that flow state. And so my shin drop just feels like I'm not even trying. And then two, the pelvis will kick in. So um, I love that, what you're talking about there. <clears throat> Yeah, it's it's been a fun ride. Every time I listen to Adari and I got tons of experimentation to follow. So. I know. I got his number finally the other day and I've been I'm like, sorry, dude, I'm gonna blow you up sometimes. He's like, That's fine. <laughs> so. Yeah, he is so he is insanely generous with the amount of information I, he gives out. It really is. I uh I finally got his insoles, so I can't wait to kind of dig into those here pretty soon. But um Yeah, there you go. But yeah, man, it's I know it's an hour, you gotta get with the kids. I really appreciate this. Um any Anything, I think everybody knows who you are, but anything you want to plug, uh, new projects, social media, anything like that? Yeah, um, yeah, just like sports, so you know, social media and stuff. Um, I am coming up with a, I have a new book on uh, the foot coming out that I've been writing for about a year and a half now. And I thought I was going to finish it in a month when I started. I was like, oh, this is easy. Like, because uh, it was kind of like, it, seriously, it was very much based off my 10-year battle with Achilles problems. Um, and then it's funny cause about the time I wrote the book, I thought I had it figured out. Um, uh, and actually technically if I would glue a Darian's, uh, Darian had some calcaneous, uh, inserts he had made. And if I had those glued to my shoes all the time, I would never have Achilles problems. But you know, at some point maybe you shouldn't have those glued in your shoes. I don't know. Um, but I thought I had it solved. And then I actually was doing some, got into some of uh, Gary Ward's wedge work and David Gray's stuff. And I've never had a problem since. I mean, it's like, freaking magic and i know yeah. a lot of people have achilles problems and you know lower leg stuff and so it's kind of my um, attempt to make it uh, a simplest solution as possible along with a lot of um just basic solid information on the foot and then performance some performance and plyometric and uh basic you know performance type um, type exercises and concepts as well and it's not as long as my last one but i'm excited about it. it's gonna be really good and i think i think it'll impact the world on a a broader level than just run. Yeah, I mean, running faster is awesome. Uh, jumping higher is awesome. But I think being able to get people out of pain who are, you know, to and experience the joy of what they're doing and then also run faster and jump higher in the process is always good. So oh, hell yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, it'll be called best foot forward and it's, um, it's out soon. I'm working hard to finish it. Awesome. Awesome. Joel, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. And um, you know, I've, as always appreciate what you do uh, for all of us and I'll always be listening. So thanks a lot, man. All right, thanks for having me, Jeff.